0: I wonder if I got that.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, and hello and welcome to uh, Football Unfocused, the football-based podcast of rambling with myself, Mark and my friend Matthew. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, how's it going, Mark? Yeah, really well, thank you, yeah. How's your <laughs> week been, Matthew.
0: Uh, it was, uh, I didn't mention this actually when we were speaking, but I had my, um, I had my wisdom tooth out on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, I had no idea that was even in the, uh, in the on the agenda. <laughs> didn't all get an agenda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, mm. yeah. Oh, I feel, so I feel a bit beaten up really. Um, that was oh, a couple of days ago, but good. yeah, yeah. That's cheer me up. Oh, good. So you're groggy.
1: You're groggy and I've got a cold. So uh, this is going to be a fantastic podcast. And I'd imagine we're going to be talking largely about uh, the England's defeat in the final of the Euros and the fallout from it. So strap in, everybody. This is going to be a real (laughs) laugh-a-minute, upbeat podcast. I can't wait. (laughs) Matthew, before uh, before we start... Just got a couple of questions for you and my, <laughs> oh, ongoing, right. my ongoing quest to open up your personality <laughs> to our hordes of listeners, Matthew. What's your favourite cordial?
0: Mm, I am um, I stop. I stopped drinking cordial. Well, I tried because I was I was drinking loads of it um, mm. not too long ago. Um, but it's it getting a bit it, much. Was it? You it was kept, yeah. Kept a bit I was getting a bit. Yeah, um, but. It would just be like if someone just sort of said to me, "Oh, Vimto," I'll be like, "Yes, give me yeah. some Vimto."
1: Yeah. I mean, that is, exactly. <laughs> that's So the that's worst all you need one. to hear, Vimto. Yeah, yeah. I thought Vimto came in cans. Right? Am I getting that completely yeah, wrong?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure you can get a can of it. Like in the same, way, you can, you can, can get, get, get a can a of hatch. it.
1: That's not a cordial, then, is
0: it? Yeah, but you can get a pouch of Ribena, can't you? Or something. What diluted Ribena? You... Yeah, like a or Yeah. Um, a box. <laughs> Right. Boxes.
1: A carton. A car- oh, sorry. Yes. That's the word you're looking for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, one yeah, Umbongo yeah. and one ribina, please. <laughs> yeah. And a Kiora. <laughs> yeah. For the missus. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kiora for the lady. <laughs> Matthew, do you like George Clooney? Y-
0: yes, because I think I have in my head. I'm not necessarily getting uglier as I get older because George Clooney has proven that doesn't have to necessarily be the case. <laughs> right.
1: So let me just get this clear. Your, your liking of George Clooney is based upon the abs. And I, I have to stress just how deluded your hope is. That you aren't going to yeah. age in, as well as George Clooney, but that's the reason you no. like him because he's because he's a stunningly good-looking man he uh, has gone even and he's got if anything he's better looking. Yeah, when he's older and grayer than he was when he was younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, and you're hoping you're going down that path. <laughs> Give yourself a percentage chance of looking like George Clooney by the time you're. I mean, what is George Clooney? You must be pushing what's he mid fifties?
0: Oh, he might be older.
1: He might be older. He might be in his 60s. Yeah. I'm just yeah. going to look, look up George Clooney. Man looks up something on Google whilst recording <laughs> a, a podcast. Yes, yeah, great, great listen. Let's have a look. George Clooney. He's 60. He was 60 in May. Oh, so right. yeah, So yeah. you're 21 years behind him. Yeah.
0: Um, I think Are you going to look I'm as good as gonna... that in
1: 21 years?
0: <laughs> well... I My dad didn't quite look like George Clooney, so no. <laughs> I think I'm more likely to look like my dad than, right. George, than, than somebody I've never met, if not, you know, not even even. I really mean, you different. could try, you could
1: have a, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, technology, yeah, you could have a lobotomy, George, Clo- <laughs> George Clooney's face, just sort of yeah. strapped on, glued on over but, yours. Is
0: it mask off or mask, what is that?
1: Face off. Face off. Face off. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Mask off. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. The, the famous off. mask off. Yeah. I mean, there's a separate film
0: called The Mask, of course. The Mask. And then I was thinking, Leo DiCaprio, what was he in? Um, oh, he the wasn't King's, in The Mask or the Face King's, Off. The King's Mask? <laughs> the King's... I don't know. What is it? I don't it? know. I mean, if i I'm, I'm, fucking... I'm laughing.
1: I'm laughing. But there might be a film called The King's Masks that are in uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. But... Uh, the the man in the iron mask. The, right. The the... Different to the king's mask, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, but he does literally wear an iron mask. It's not a euphemism, no. In that film, no, he no, has no. a mask on. Yeah. I haven't, but I haven't that's a mask, isn't it? it? I'm talking about a face transplant.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you are talking about... So you're barking at the wrong tree. It's a <laughs> yeah. different yeah. situation. <laughs>
1: Yeah, good. So uh, I'm just going to write down my answers on my database (laughs) I'm building about you. Your favourite cordials, Vimto and you do like George Clooney. More questions next week. (laughs) Matthew, did you enjoy watching the final of the European Championship football competition last Sunday evening? Um,
0: So obviously the first 15 minutes you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Um, yes, yeah. You like know, it was, it
1: looked then... like they were going to win about 5 0, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually found myself thinking after about 20 minutes, even 25, even that I hope Italy do something here because otherwise this is going to be too easy <laughs> and boring. I genuinely thought that for a bit.
0: Yeah. And then for basically the rest of the game, it was uh, a cross between sort of. Fear, you know, sort of concern and 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 slight frustration. Um, they, uh, they and they just reverted to the type. But it was after the match. I mean, it was just like you know, Italy were the the better side. Um, you know, on balance, so I, I sort of sent you that screenshot of the stats. You know, the yeah. possession. The but even lot. even even
1: aside from the stats, anyone. Anyone with yeah, a brain yeah, yeah. who's capable of any level of impartiality watching that match could say Italy were... I think I would go as far as to say they were significantly better than England. Yeah, Like, yeah, yeah. you know, aside from that first half an hour, because and everyone keeps talking like the first half was completely England, the second half was completely Italy, I don't agree with that. I right. think that the first half an hour to 35 minutes was completely England, and then there were some ominous signs that England had missed their opportunity to make hay while the sun shines and by scoring a second goal um, because Italy properly came back into it before half time there was a ten fifteen minute spell chiesa was getting on the ball and looking more and more dangerous they were getting gripping midfield a lot more they were stopping us getting in behind, and then the whole second half was i mean the, the goal the I guess the only um, from an England perspective the only hope um, that uh, I sort of um, clung to I guess was that because they hadn't they'd, they'd got that final tournament without conceding a goal in open play I thought well they might actually hang on here you know they, they are good at the back and they're well organised and solid and they've got two defensive midfielders um, but I just think it would have been an almost impossible job to, to cope with that level of pressure and it was the quickness of the Italian passing the way they were stretching us. so you're going to get it's going to just tire people out eventually um, mm. and then you know, even the way they the Italians equalised, though. So you look at England. I mean, Pope, um, sorry, Pickford made a um, a pretty amazing save to, to. I think it got pushed onto the post yeah. or something, didn't it? And yeah, it came yeah. back out. And uh, and then they're there, you know, sort of first to the ball. So England kind of did defend quite valiantly, really. And they, like you said, they they definitely did rally in extra time. And then penalties are just penalties, aren't they? I mean, they can go. I'm never going to criticise. I'm never. I- before no. we before we speak about the you know the stuff that's happened afterwards i guess because clearly that that has to be covered but um just purely forgetting everything else the actual penalties themselves um the only thing i would say and, and again i'll reiterate i i'm not i would i never i criticize someone who misses in a shootout because i think the level of pressure, can you imagine? I mean, there were 30 million people just in this country watching that game on telly. Yeah. They're all going to, you're going to be remembered for the rest of your life if you miss. And uh, you, you're very aware of that. So no matter how much they, pra- <laughs> no matter how much they practice in training, you know, uh, uh... I mean, they only have to look at their own manager. So know someone who is kind of, most famous or <laughs> infamous, he wants to be famous, but mostly infamous for for a missed penalty, twenty six years ago, and oh, yeah. sorry, twenty five years ago, and so that just in, in in a lot of ways, their own manager is a kind of living embodiment and reminder of of the consequences of missing a penalty. You've got all that as you're walking forward that long, slow walk to take a penalty. But the only thing I guess I would say is that. It did feel a little bit like like Rashford is genuinely one of the best penalty takers uh, I've ever seen. I remember him taking a penalty in the, um, in the Parc de France uh, for the Manx against PSG when they got awarded in the last minute of a Champions League tie, having been completely outplayed. They got awarded one of the most outrageously unjust penalties I've ever seen. I mean, look at that now, look it up on YouTube or whatever. Uh, it is one of the worst penalty decisions Ever. Um, I think it was in the early days of VAR and it was just an outrageous like one of those where yes okay it's technically I think it was a handball technically a handball but come on you can't give that and they they did and away from home in the last minute of a two-legged intense Champions League tie he put away this amazingly cool penalty and he always strikes me as someone who I never think he's going to miss but I think he was possibly if I'm being hypercritical guilty of just trying to be a little bit too clever because he's got such a a, a pure strike on him and he did the whole, you know, um, like, dallied run-up mm. in order to... to and he, he'd wrong-footed the goalkeeper and then, mm. and then didn't concentrate on the important bit, which is just yeah. getting the direction in his foot through it. And the other two, really, um, I mean, you know, you look at the way sort of Maguire and Kane wallops there. Yeah. He's maybe just, you know, I, I guess in a lot of ways, and I know this is probably a negative way of looking at it, but if you're going to miss... You're, you're. I think you People will be possibly be a little bit more understanding if you've, you've, you've absolutely hammered it and caused, caused the goalkeeper to make a, an outrageous say rather than just got, the, got the right. Side. However, when you think uh, of like Waddle, when he just well, that's it, exactly. it Marlow. Well, absolutely, and and the nation's favourite darling and and whore of uh, all media outlets, <laughs> David Beckham. David Beckham in the in the 2004 um, European Championship defeat to. Portugal on penalties he smacked his first penalty into Orby yet yet he's still the one that the tv camera's obsessively showing like he's some sort of you know former king I mean it's absolutely outrageous to show uh, sorry how, I must I must have forgotten did are we living in a parallel universe where he captained England to the world cup or well, winning well we need a world cup or something because uh, the amount of love that that man gets just purely to be fair it's 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 down to the genius way in which he has manipulated the media over over 30 years, and people have fallen for it hook line sinker. To be the fourth best midfielder out of four for his club side for a 10 year period, and to be the fourth most talented midfielder in his England side for a period of time, and yet still be the most revered of them all. By people who don't understand football, uh, is quite an achievement to be honest. Yeah. It really is. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I, I could honestly rant about him all day. But um, no, we're, we're going to do a podcast about talk about a one trick pony. I mean, blimey! But anyway, oh, yeah. save, uh, save it all. Save yeah, it all. we'll just call it Beckham, <laughs> the one trick pony. Yeah, but but yeah, but you're right. He he also smacked it over the bar. So yeah, and. Have you ever noticed that when um, Pickford saves a penalty, no one refers that to an Italian miss? I'll say that's an England save, and um, when mm. Donna Rumor saves a penalty, that's an England miss. Always, <laughs> it's always struck me as quite amusing. Because Southgate, even Southgate himself, he didn't miss; it was it was saved, uh, right. saved by Kopka. You know, it was, yeah, okay, it was quite a poorly struck penalty, but I've seen I've seen less convincing Russ, penalties yeah. than that, um, and the keeper's gone the other way. Mm. So, you know, Rashford. Maybe a little bit of a unnecessarily complicated um, technique, but he set the keeper the wrong way. He was the only one, I guess, yeah. who missed, and the other two had him saved. And the idea of blaming a nineteen-year-old lad who's been brilliant in the tournament for missing the mm. the sort of final penalty is is, mm. is is absolutely ridiculous.
0: And I guess it's it's one of the, you know you can be as bad a keeper as you you know as you want, but if you're I don't know. I've, Tall Donnarumma is. I think he's fucking... about six foot six. He's enormous. And, and he looked yeah, massive, and, didn't he? In the yeah. Game. And you just seem, well, just having a bloke that big in the, in the goal. So I was just going to say, just
1: to add, you say you can have as bad a keeper as you like as long as he's massive, but throw into the mix that he's also an exceptional goalkeeper. So he's, ex- <laughs> so he's exceptional, got player in to the tournament, and he's absolutely fucking enormous. Uh, so you, that's, that's not a great combination when you're walking up and looking. <laughs> <laughs> and they always say when you're in a penalty shootout the pressure makes the goal shrink. So what are you gonna say statistically? What
0: yeah, just they, and they referenced it at the start of the penalty shootout, and I've heard it a couple of times how teams those that go, that first. go first. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like the thing is, and I just thought after the championship, I was just like, it is ridiculous to have International tournaments decided on penalty. How many other tournaments were decided on penalty shootout? Yeah, so
1: 94 and 2006 uh, World Cups. I'm trying to think of a Euro. Well, I think, well, famously, one of the first ever Euros. I think it was 1974, was it? Uh, sorry, 72, when Panenka for That's why the, the, the chip penalty is now called to Panenka because the Czech player, Panenka had the audacity to step up and chip the decisive penalty, um, so that, that, you know it has it has yeah, happened. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, there aren't um, there aren't so many finals in the Euros, but there's some and there's still yeah. like ma- you know massive moments. I mean, yeah. I do think it is um, it is just one of those things that you get to a stage in um, in a football match where you've been playing for 120 minutes. You can't separate two teams. The players can't. I mean, I've heard. I've heard ideas like uh, keep playing and every five minutes each team has to <laughs> remove a player from the pitch. Have to, <laughs> so you, I, what that would lead to, who the hell knows. But yeah, so after like 20 minutes you'd have like, you know, seven V seven or something. So yeah. Um, but I don't know. To me, penalties has always felt like it is a slightly unsatisfactory way to end, but it's the best of a lot of probably bad ideas and, you know, Liverpool won the Champions League in 2005 on a pretty shoot sure, and it's one of the best days of my life, so, you know, it's, it's, they are amazing when you win them. Uh, particularly, uh, particularly if you've, if the game has been full of drama. I think if the game is a drab nil-nil and then you, uh, I think there's a, um, there's been a couple of uh, Euro- Champions League slash European Cup finals in the 80s. I think um, PSV Benfica in 1988 was a notoriously awful nil-nil draw and then a, Sort of a you know half decent penalty shootout, and at the end of that you just think, oh god! I mean, it's great with one, especially PSV. That's the one and only European Cup. Bloody hell! I wish yeah, yeah. it just someone you know. Even an own goal would have been better than this um, <laughs> t- to win it. But yeah, I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm not, I'm not uh, overly, overly bothered about the, the concept of penalties. But how did you, how did you feel about like? Did it bother you? even lost. Were you upset? Did it stay with
0: you um, the next day? Yeah, but for a different reason. Um, I mean, to, when when the taking of the knee sort of when when people were coming out against that, it was more that I was kind of angry. But um, on Monday, I was I was kind of just depressed. Uh, really, yeah, I found it yeah, really depressing. It agree. wasn't so much anger. It was, it was just depressingly
1: like, inevitable, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, me, 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 I, the funny thing is. Because during this tournament, which is which was, you know, mostly a pretty amazing and, and positive experience for, you know, everyone involved, I sometimes feel that, we, you know, we spent quite a lot of these um, Euro-based uh, podcasts week after week. I felt probably, well, maybe it's just that, you know, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, are we in danger of being sort of stick in the muds, are we being sort of killjoys after a week of fantastic football when England are on this wave and I'm always trying to bring it back to, well, there were still people booing the taking of the Mm. knee, booing the national anthem, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I think if anything, you know, I mean, not, not trying to sort of be sort of smug after the event, but I think if anything, it shows that we are right to always be talking about those issues because they are never far from the surface. And the fact that they were rumbling on, even when England were doing well, shows how serious the problem is. And while I was watching that penalty shootout, similar to you, you I'm sitting there with Kelly, watching it, and the first thought of both of us when uh, the misses started happening was, oh God, all three players are black. You just know, it shouldn't make any difference. Just... It's the only thing that should matter is three England players have had the penalty saved or have missed them or whatever. But you just know with the, the, the way things are at the moment in society and culture, that that it's going to lead to depressingly inevitable, horrible racist abuse. It's going, to, it's going to happen on social media. There's going to be twats in the street. And it's going to be used as a justification for the worst people in society to spout the most obnoxious... Views and to dish out abuse to people who have been uh, brave enough to step up and take a penalty. And I, I, you know, I, I, I think that if uh, Harry Kane had been uh, responsible, say we'd lost five four on penalties and Harry Kane had missed the penalty, I, I believe that the narrative would have been much more about the, you know, the the, the, the hero, heroic brave Harry Kane having missed. And I know that, I know that you know some of the press, uh, which we I'd like to actually quickly mention. Um, have been, you know, generally supportive. But, you know, the Sun newspaper, I think had a headline along the lines of, you know, we're right behind you or we're all in this together or something like that. And yet, you know, it, it doesn't take a genius to then just have a have a quick Google and see how many negative headlines that they have produced over the last few years. Uh, and which, weirdly enough, that seems to focus largely on um, trying to ruin the reputation of the young black English players having to go at them having to go at Raheem Sterling for buying a house for his mum or having the audacity to buy a nice car or have a tattoo. Um, and the way in which they joined our current government's disgraceful and unforgivable failure to condemn people booing the taking of the knee. And that was you know, at no point this week has that been better exemplified by than by the, the you know, the, the amazing I would go as far as to say a potentially era-defining, certainly you know, um, you know, tournament-defining uh, tweet sent out by Tyrone Mings on Monday night in response to that horrendous Pretty Patel, uh, Pretty Patel's attempt to associate herself with the disgust uh, at the racism, and he quite rightly said, "You don't get to call this out when you yourself have." Um, labelled our attempt to stand for um, uh, equality and racial justice as gesture politics. And you just don't. And this is the problem. We're living in a world now where people, I genuinely think, I'm not saying there's more racism than there ever was before. I even like to think there's probably less overall. But what I do think is that social media has given people a platform where they feel free... Either based on anonymity or based on being in kind of uh, echo chambers of, of similarly ignorant like-minded people where they feel that they those views that they might have kept to themselves or shared it with uh, just a couple of you know other other bigots in the past will, will now you know just express it freely on social media and you know and like I said we all know about the anonymity option as well, which is incredibly dangerous and probably a lot of the reason behind it. But also that when you've got a government who, I, in my view, unless they were, which is exactly what they are doing, unless they were deliberately trying to divide society by stoking fake culture wars and getting people to be on one side of the divide or the other, then even if they secretly don't agree with the England players taking the knee, it would be in their interest to publicly agree with it. But the reason that they don't, the reason that uh, before the tournament, in, the, in as we discussed on these podcasts, uh, the reason that they, they wouldn't condemn those people in Middlesbrough booing the England players, taking the knee in the pre-tournament friendlies, and the reason that they didn't come out and support the England players making that united gesture is because it would undermine one of their key strategies over the last few years, ever really, really since Brexit, which has been to so division. And to encourage hatred and to you know feed that beast, and this is the inevitable consequence. And they've had, oh, I mean, poor them. They've had, they've had an awful week because any you know, pretty much everyone. I mean, obviously there's there's morons uh, out there that are beyond redemption, but pretty much everyone has been appalled at the abuse that the England players suffered this week, and it says a lot when your own government in a situation like that, are unable to make supportive statements that align themselves with the anti-racist message and getting behind the England players, because their conduct has been so abhorrent and so averse to what those England players were trying to uh, achieve that the words sound completely and utterly hollow and that there's almost unanimous rejection of their messages of support. People, People are not stupid. People don't immediately forget and 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 it wasn't just Tao Ming's phrased it and timed it perfectly, and he's brave and fantastic for doing so. But he wasn't alone. You know, there's lot. You know, loads of people were just like, oh, "Fuck off!" You know, you you were refusing to condemn people for booing them for taking a knee a few weeks ago, and now you're wondering why people feel emboldened to racially abuse them because they missed a penalty or had a penalty saved. And it's disgraceful, and it's not. You know, it's not. I mean, I, I hear a lot of people say things like, "Oh, it, it's like it in all countries, and it's no, no worse here." And I'm, I'm not sure that's. No, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure that's true. I do think we've got, a, we do have a real problem with it. I'm not saying it. I, I will, I will say one thing. I guess if you're looking for kind of signs of positivity or hope, and that is that when England go and play um, a qualifying game like they did um, not so long back in Bulgaria. It's often in that part of the world. I hate to generalise because it's, it's unfair to sort of label Eastern Europe as a hotbed of racism. But there is no doubt that, that there are many countries there that do have a big issue with discrimination and, um, based on ethnicity in their society. And when the England team go over there for a match and find themselves subject to uh, racial abuse, I guess the the difference in terms of the reaction you get here to there is that what you often get in somewhere like Bulgaria is the government and the uh, FA of that particular country just completely rejecting any criticism as, and, and pretending it didn't happen. Whereas at least here, uh, no one tries to kind of you know hide from it because it is it, you know you, you can't. You either. I mean, it, it really is a simple kind of you know binary choice of you either are supportive of of the racists or you condemn it. And, and but there's no denying it. You can't you can't pretend that you couldn't hear what people were saying. You can't pretend that you can't see um, what people have put on social media. So I mean, it's a deeply it's been a, it's been a really really depressing week when you consider that you know in the space of a few kicks of a football on Sunday night we went from potentially having a week of kind of hysterical national celebration to a week in which we've had to kind of reflect on uh, our society and uh, the, 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 the sort of entrenched negative aspects of that society and also our ability to control crowds because, I mean, that's the bit actually that probably shocked me more than anything else. The, the, not 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 in terms of its disgracefulness because all of it's disgraceful, but... You know, as a man who's attended a lot of football over the years, I've not seen in England um, ever, uh, I mean, I know it has happened way, way back, but in my time uh, following football in in this country, I've not seen large numbers of people being able to barge their way into the national stadium. We're not talking about a game at Leighton Orient. This was the national stadium on the biggest match that it had hosted in, well, possibly since, since it was rebuilt. And, I mean, that was just absolutely staggering. I have seen situations not dissimilar to that. I remember I went to the 2007 Champions League final in, in uh, Greece and there were a lot of people. Hank, it, that was at the Olympic Stadium. That at that time was kind of three years old. And already you could tell that, that Greece had not um, done what London, thankfully, had gone on to do, which is produced this amazing legacy park. With, you know, it was already kind of mothballing into like this wasteland of uh, public money. And uh, they built this kind of uh, these temporary perimeter fencing around the stadium and they were ticket checking there. But that was because there weren't kind of more formal turnstiles further down. So if you got through that first ticket check, um, you were in. And I think people who had been hanging around all day thinking, I'm going to try and get a ticket off a towel and failing to do so, had very much noticed that and saw how... Um, sort of the stewarding was, and how flimsy the fencing was. And I saw on that day loads of people getting in the ground, but it didn't require the same levels of. Violence. It really was so amateurish. It was a case of the fences kind of just opened, and people just started walking in. Um, whereas this thing at Wembley was, it was a real like a, a cauldron of of of, um, of danger because Wembley way the way that they've constructed it now with sort of hotels and bars all down the side. It used to just be like a, you know, like there was just fuck all there. It was like a, a, you know, apocalyptic wasteland (laughs) with a stadium at the end of it. Whereas now all of a sudden it's gone all, um, it's gone all corporate. But what that means is that people have got the kind of, um, uh, the reason to, you know, if they go down there earlier in the day, whether or not they've got a ticket, they, they can, there's somewhere where they can sort of congregate and get tanked up. And it's pretty clear that, by mid-afternoon, we're talking six hours or so before the game even kicked off, that it was getting a bit out of control. People were chucking bottles and stuff. I mean, I heard the, the five live um, correspondent uh, talking. You know, bear in mind if you're if you're on the um, TV or the if you're doing the TV or radio commentary, you probably get in the ground four hours before the game, either, maybe even longer. So he, he wouldn't have been getting there late. And he, he was talking about having to dodge bottles that were flying through the air and stuff when he was walking to the stadium mid-afternoon. So it clearly got out of hand. And so you've got a, a dangerous scenario in which hundreds, if not thousands, of ticketless people are down there, they're hyped up, they're tanked up, they're getting increasingly aggressive. And let's be honest, those a lot of those people were probably already of a particular character type or mentality who... Uh, shall we say aren't necessarily going to be the most um, socially responsible or considerate to uh, to others, but it, it, is, it did not reflect well at all because Wembley is normally difficult to get into. You know they've got really tight security and they've got um, very well run turnstiles, and I just don't I don't understand how it was able to happen. It's a real embarrassment when you consider that we're supposed to be having a joint, along with uh, Ireland we're supposed to be having a joint bid for the. 2030 world cup that's going to be a massive cross against our name uh, in terms of getting that and you have to ask yourself really do we do we want to host the tournament if that's the consequence of what happens i know there were some wonderfully positive things to come out in the last few weeks but you know when you have to be knocking out fines because of the morons who are just too ignorant not to boo the national anthem of the opposition, even when one of those is Denmark, who everyone in the world with any sort of compassion would have been inspired by their journey to the semi-final. Or when you, um, you know, can't even trust your own um, population inside that ground to support their own team who are performing well to in their, in their decision to take the knee. Then you have to think, well... Do we deserve to host a World Cup? We always moan. We've got this victim mentality. Oh, no one will give it to us. It's because of corruption and all that. Well, no, maybe it's because, you know, the, cu- the culture around football in this country is just undesirable and that people don't want to give us it. And we think that, you know, I hear a lot these days of people thinking that it's kind of English football's problems are solved and all the problems are elsewhere. And they are casting aspersions about all these places where the England players have had abuse. But I think it's time to maybe look a little bit closer to home and be prepared to look in the mirror because the behaviour around on that day and the things that have happened since, it's enough to make you just not want to bother. And it kind of vindicates the view that I had from the start, and I know we discussed my struggles to really emotionally engage with an England match. And eventually, you won me round, really, funnily enough, on on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, because you were like, no, forget the fact there'll always be dickheads, forget that. You've got a bunch of guys here who are a really good bunch of guys and they are they're really brave and socially aware and they're, they're doing this thing before every game and they don't care if people boo. They're still doing it. They're standing together and they are reflective of modern Britain and they are, you know, they're diverse and all all this stuff. And, and that kind of made me think, yeah, do you know what? If only because it will piss off right-wing people, I really <laughs> want England to do well. Um, but... But then there's, you know, I think about the, some of the scumbags and the way they've behaved in the last week. I think, why would I want those people to be happy? You know, why would I want to give them reason to celebrate? And let's face it, you know, regardless of their own ignorance and their, um, their bigotry towards um, the way in which the current England team look and behave, if England had won, that would have gone out the window. They'd have been jumping on the bandwagon as much as anyone else. And they'd have been absolutely reveling in it, and they'd have been sort of shouting the loudest in terms of celebration. So I can sort of tell myself in in a in a kind of liberal dream bubble that oh, wouldn't it have been fantastic if this socially uh, socially aware sort of uh, you know amazingly liberal bunch of players had won the won the tournament for England. Wouldn't that have been a two fingers up to the to the um, to the sort of you know the bigots? But let's not kill ourselves. The, the bigots would have would have seen that as a victory for them just as much as I'd have seen it as a victory yeah. for me because they see they see what they want to see. And uh, same with the government, you know, look at the way they were trying to jump on board. They undermined the team right from the very start. They undermined the message that they were trying to support. And yet they tried, as as the games were progressing, you got that, that horrendous home secretary posting pictures of herself. We're supposed to believe she was like celebrating a goal. I mean, she looked like she was on the toilet. Um, more than anything else and you've got uh, you know the the Prime Minister sticking a shirt over his over his suit and turning up at a game looking in an absolute state and you're thinking, does he even know you know which team's which? And uh so so it's not really um a relief that England didn't win because I think the abuse was was inevitable because the morons are unfortunately quite large in number and they shout very loud but if they'd won, those same morons would have been, you know, delighted. But it wouldn't have stopped them then. If England had then gone on to have a poor start to the World Cup, if they'd gone into the World Cup next year as European champions. They'd have still been, uh, they'd have still been knocking out the abuse. You know, it's not like winning the Euros would have given them then a, a threshold. You know, it's like um, I always, I, you know, I never understand. Thankfully, you don't get this so much at Liverpool, but you do, you do still get it sometimes where people are. You know, someone will have just had, like, the season of their life. And, like, you know, a ma- say, like, a manager who's just won a Champions League or the league title or something like that. And then you lose a couple of games the next season. You know, it's that, that knobhead. The knobhead dude then starts ringing the phone-ins or, tre- you know, putting stuff on Twitter about, uh, oh, they're taking as far as we can go. And, you know, time for them to move on and all that sort of crap. Uh, it would be exactly the same even with England. We tell ourselves, ours. Oh, fifty five years, imagine if we actually won something, but then how long would it take into the next year before, you know, after a you know, and going at half time nil nil with Malta and it's like booing them off the pitch. Yeah. I think it's just because people are just fucking impatient and they think they've got a divine right. They see themselves as customers rather than fans and they think if they've paid their money they've got the right to abuse and they fail to see that their primary their primary role is to bring positivity and support to help the team. But anyway, that's
0: just uh, that's just my <laughs> you know, that's just my feeling on it. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it, that's what you just sort of touched upon at the very end when you were sort of saying that the slight impatience. There was a, a, a sort of a message on one of the message balls that I was going through and he said, um, this, someone said, this, this is a journalist, by the way, so not just some random punter. I couldn't help but feel like Gareth Southgate got away with it against Germany and Denmark. Both yeah, of whom were classic. teams England ought to have beaten more comprehensively than they did. I'm sure there are better teams in the squad than the one he found. Southgate is naturally conservative and I'm sure he's been influenced by the job he's had. He manages England like a mid-table outfit trying to scrounge a result against better teams when actually... He's got one of the deepest pools of attacking talent ever assembled. Paradoxically, that means the conservative option is to go forward and dominate. And I was just like, what the? F-? Like, do you not, you know, that is. He got is to just... the final. Yeah, you got
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He, he got to the final. He was a kicker and he didn't, he didn't lose a match. England didn't lose the final, they lost the penalty shootout. Yeah. So they didn't actually lose a game of football out of the, what, seven that they played. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And that, that's football all over. There are so many what the boxing journalist Steve Bunce would call after-timers. It's absolutely packed full of them in football, probably yeah. more so than any other sport. Um, but I think on that, what I, in my opinion, I think it is, in some respects, legitimate to criticise sometimes the possible possible over caution in in the approach because I do think sometimes there are games when you look at like um, I mean I think I said on, on on here before the England bench I've never known England in my lifetime to have a bench of players so unbelievably talented and you kind of think well if you played a, a match England's first team against England's second team I'm not even sure who would win because the talent is is that widespread but what I I think that actually so to just focus on that and then to assume that Southgate is being too negative with that group of players is to misunderstand why he approaches the games with a caution. I don't think he does it because of lack of belief in the England players he's got available. I think he does it because he has studied um, in great detail what it takes to win uh, a tournament and what approaches work and what approaches don't. And, you only have to look as far as France, you know, the current world champions. Yeah. I know that they, they stumbled in this tournament, but, I mean, they really blew that. they were free one up and they, you know, they, they were complacent. And, and I still believe that they are, they are the best team in Europe. Yeah. They are the best yeah. team in the world. And they've got a great chance of retaining the World Cup. Um, and they get an awful lot of, of criticism in the French media, despite their success, Deschamps in particular gets that criticism for exactly the same thing they'll say look at this pool of talent that you've got look at the attacking players you know you've got um, Mbappe and Benzema and Griezmann and you've got people like Kingsley Coman all these amazing footballers and yet we kind of it feels like we're a very pragmatic team that sort of scrape through games and they weren't Really, when even when they won the World Cup, they weren't overly expressive. They were doing kind of enough to win. But I think, again, he probably has a similar mentality to Southgate. That that's what wins you tournaments. The teams that come out of the blocks and just try and blow teams away. Eventually, over the course of a tournament, a canny a canny opponent will work out where their weakness is and find it. And they'll get... Um, pulled apart. I mean I, I suppose an example of that might be Brazil when they hosted the World Cup in twenty fourteen. They ended up losing the semi final seven one. Because you know, tactically they're absolutely all over the place. I think they in that game they, they, they lost it on every level. They weren't emotionally prepared for what you know, I think they just got carried away in hysteria of hosting a tournament and being in the semi final. Tactically they're all over the place and I think really they you know might have even been that some of the players possibly weren't as good as they maybe thought they were. And they underestimated their opponent. And Germany gave them a humiliation that I think even now they probably haven't mentally recovered from. So, it got, you know, and everyone can... Re- if you if you know a moderate amount about sort of World Cup history, everyone can roll out some of the greatest teams that have ever been put together on the international stage. Holland in 1974 and Brazil in 1982 are, are kind of the standout examples. And neither of those won the World Cup. And that's because at some point they came up against what was considered to be uh, generally as, as, a, as a kind of pragmatic opponent who found a way to beat them. So for Southgate to be suddenly criticised for that when the day before they were probably praising him for that approach, for, you know, I, I mean, Gary Neville's been on, uh, pundit, you know, when one of the things that he's kind of consistently been saying over the last few weeks in terms of things he likes about Southgate, is how impressed he is by his unwillingness to bow to, you know, sort of public pressure. You know, in the past, if there'd been a a clamour to pick a a popular player, someone like Jack Greenish or Jadon Sancho, the manager's going to bow, particularly someone like Sven, who was so kind of star struck by the big name players he that, that it was more important to him to have the players in the team than it was to have a system that was actually going to work um where Southgate isn't like that at all He, he he's completely unaffected he, he's so calm and considered and he'll up uh, he'll he doesn't hide away from it he'll answer a question he'll give a really sort of you know a mature and intelligent reason why he picks his team and yeah it's, I think it's outrageous to do that yeah Yes, I'm sure everyone would like to see England go out and just say, "All right, well, you know, bring it on." We've got <laughs> we've got seven of the best attacking players in Europe. We're just going to go at you. But when have England ever done that? This is the thing. this is another thing as well. When you hear people talking about, you know, could we be underachieving with this group of players at the Southgate You just think, at what point in football history have England ever been dominant? They won one World Cup, which is a tournament in which they hosted. They've achieved they've achieved next to nothing in pretty much every other tournament. It seems they they only really get to the latter stages of tournaments in which they host, apart from two notable occasions: one in 1990 under Bobby Robson, and the other one three years ago under who? Oh, Gareth Southgate. So mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's but it's classic short-sightedness and you know impatience and ignorance really of football people um, over here. I'm sure you get it everywhere. You know, it's just nobbets, isn't it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. it is we, we could probably. Yeah. 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 No, I
0: think in in summary, <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it, it's just nobbets. That's it. We're done. Good. We, well, we are done. Yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. end. Me and you are done. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so thank you for, uh, listening. If indeed you are uh, listening or have ever listened and, uh, We'll have uh, a, a couple of weeks uh, to put our feet up and enjoy the sunshine and shall return shortly before the uh, beginning of the 2021-22 Premier League and Football League season. I would like to, however, congratulate the, uh, the greatest footballer ever to walk on a pitch, Mr Lionel Messi, for winning his first uh, international tournament as a player, uh, the Copa America, with, um, uh, over, with a 1-0 win over Brazil last week. Um, just anyone left on earth who could say something even marginally critical of that great man can now shut the fuck up because he has, he has won an international tournament and um, he's a player, in my view, pretty much without parallel. He's not only the... the he is, people always like to focus on his goal scoring, which is un- unbelievable, but he's the best passer of a football I've ever seen in my life.
0: Yeah. If he is listening I also send my congratulations. Yeah, I'm sure well. he is. Yeah, I've heard he's, he's
1: big he's big into it is Leo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well on so on that uh bombshell that wasn't a bombshell, it's time to say uh, enjoy uh uh the summer and don't make sure you don't uh, miss out because we will be back and we'll have more to say than ever that makes probably less sense than ever. Goodbye.